Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you for coming to us in Jesus to invite and welcome us into the great community of love that flows between you and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the power of that same Holy Spirit, we pray that you would touch our hearts today so that we might enter fully into that circle of love, drawing others in with us as well. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, my family spent an evening covering the ceiling of our daughter's ceiling in Chicago with glow-in-the-dark stars. Anybody ever done that? Highly recommended. (laughs) And since uh, Jasmine loves horses, we put them up on the ceiling in the shape of the Pegasus constellation. That was fun, too. And... After that, at every tuck-in, we turn on the lights and then turn off the lights and, and lie there and enjoying the ceiling glowing overhead. And sometimes if uh, our prayer or bedtime story were too long, they'd stop glowing. And so we'd, one of us would jump up and turn on the lights again so that they'd start glowing all over again. Well, this story came to uh, my mind this past week as I read our scriptures because light is again such a very prominent theme in our readings. Remember last week in the book of Revelation, Samantha shared with us and brought us into the new Jerusalem, a city illuminated, not by any light, but by the light of God and the light of the Lamb. And then today in our scriptures, Jesus is called our bright morning star in Revelation, whose radiant glory is given to the church to make us attractive and attracting to the world. If you find it helpful this morning, I invite you to turn to the reading that Kate just shared with us from John 17. John 17, starting in verse 20. And as you turn in your Bible, I want to make a confession here. When I started reading the Bible again, back when I was a 30-something, I used to find these particular parts of John to be especially wordy and baffling and completely impossible to understand. Maybe I'm the only one. But Jesus' words here sound a little bit different in their style than they do in the Gospels. But I'm so grateful for mentors who came along later on and who showed me that if we read Jesus' words in John slowly and prayerfully, there are great, 
great treasures to be found. Dear friends, did you notice, first of all, for whom Jesus is praying on the very last night of his life? Who's he praying for? He's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for us. He's praying for us. Verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of my disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me later on through their word. Here at East Chestnut, a hundred generations later, we're part of that long, long line of believers. And Jesus in this prayer is praying especially for our unity. And I'm sure we all notice that. For us to be able to receive and to participate in the perfect love that flows eternally between Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. This circling community of love. And notice that He says that we must, He doesn't say that we must always see things in the same way. But He does say that nothing, nothing should be allowed to block the flow of His love between us. And then to help us, our dear Jesus says that He has given us a great and a precious gift, His glory. His glory. Verse 22, The glory that You, Father, have given Me I have given them. And why? So that they may be one as we are one. And the world may know that you have sent me. And the world may know that you have loved them. He's talking about East Chestnut. As much as you have loved me. Now it's now that my 30-something self, I think I can still remember him a little bit, that my 30-something self would have said, wow, how wonderful, Jesus has given us his glory, but I have no, absolutely no idea what that is. What is that? Jesus has given us his glory. And this, dear friends, is why we need to know well and understand the rest of Scripture. Because without the rest of the Scripture, we cannot appreciate the treasures that Jesus brings us and gives to the church. And so today, let us ask of the Bible two questions. What exactly is this glory that Jesus is talking about that he has given to us here at East Chestnut? And why is it so very important for our community? In Scripture, a survey of references to glory quickly turns into a grand tour of the Bible's greatest moments. 
glory, kabod in Hebrew in the Old Testament, doxa in Greek in the New Testament. Do you hear doxology? Doxa, glory. This is one of the Bible's most important images and describes God's radiant, awesome, and holy presence. So when you hear glory, think radiant presence. After liberating the Hebrew slaves from Egypt, God's glory fills their tabernacle. Remember, their holy tent that travels with the Israelites through the wilderness wherever they go. But God's glory is so very much more than a light and laser show. God's glory is closely linked to God's self-disclosure, revealing who God is and how we are to live on this earth. For example, on Mount Sinai, Moses' encounters with God's glory go hand in hand with their receiving the Ten Commandments. Just as Moses' face shines afterward, so are the Israelites meant to shine with the radiance of God's presence to all the nations around them. God's glory is ever seeking a home, not just in a place, but in a people. Later, God's glory moves into Solomon's newly built temple. A glorious cloud fills the house of the Lord, and the priests are knocked right off their feet. 2 Chronicles 5.14. Later, the prophet Isaiah has a vision where the seraphs are calling to each other in the, in the temple, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth, they say, is full of God's And at the end of this story, we see that encountering God's glory leads not only to worship and awe, but also into mission and service to others. Here I am, says Isaiah, send me. Send me. But then in the prophet Ezekiel's time later, the people's injustice to the poor their idolatry, their sin, cause the glory of the Lord finally to leave the temple. And here's where things start getting really interesting. After the temple is destroyed by the Babylonians and later rebuilt by Zerubbabel and then by King Herod, we have no account of God's glory ever returning to the temple. The prophet Ezekiel receives a vision of God's glory someday returning to the temple, but there's no record of God's presence returning. Now, finally, 
we can begin to understand the astonishingly good news that the New Testament writers are trying to communicate with us. John 1.14. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We have seen His glory. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, one, the one who came from the Father full of grace and truth. God's glory is not in a building anymore. It is in the living and loving Jesus. Jesus is God's glory walking. Our full disclosure of who God really is and how God desires for us to live. And for those who have eyes to see, do we have eyes to see? For those who have eyes to see, God's glory is most fully revealed by Jesus on the cross where Luke 24 says that Jesus fully enters into his glory. The glory of God's power made perfect in suffering and vulnerability. Do we have eyes to see that glory? And as we hear today in John, Jesus has given us, the church, this very glory so that we might communicate God's love to the world. God's glory is now pleased to dwell in the temple of our lives together here at East Chestnut. And in our reading from Acts 16, Paul and his friends repeatedly draw the attention of that slave girl as they do in every drawing attention in every town they go. And have you ever wondered, what is it that made them so noticeable? I believe it is because God's glory is visibly present in their lives and in their words and in their actions. You know, we often talk about this reality without knowing it. My dear Grandma Nickel used to talk to me about the warmth of a congregation, the warmth of a particular person's faith, whether she felt God's presence in them or not. In fact, probably all of us are followers of Jesus here today because we met another person shining with a glory not their own. Borrowed light. Given light. Who might that have been in your life? As I've shared before, I'm a pastor here today because I saw God's glory shining in the face of a 90-year-old Chinese Christian. What that means, dear friends, is we're never done shining. 
Anybody 90 here? So you got a lot of time to shine. When I spent those three days, when I spent those three days with this brother in Christ named Stephen Wong, I saw not light radiating, but I saw God's glory shining in two things in particular. I saw, I can still see this happening in the next door room. I was in the living room. They were in the bedroom. And his great gentleness, their laughter with his wife with Alzheimer's. I also felt God's glory in him, in Stephen Wong, in his astonishing forgiveness for the people who had brutally harmed his family during the Cultural Revolution. His daughter was mowed down by machine gun fire. But yet he radiated forgiveness. God's glory can be seen today in our story in Paul and his friends as they set that vulnerable slave girl free and take on the economic powers of their day. We see God's glory shining as they unbelievably continue to sing and to pray even after they've been beaten, probably senseless with rods, and thrown in prison. Would that be your first thing to do? And we see God's glory shining. I want you to see this so much. In the way that that jailer, after he came to faith, what did he do? He tenderly washed their wounds. God's love came into him and flowed out and suddenly he had compassion that he didn't have an hour before. And here at East Chestnut, dear friends, what is more glorious in our violent and partisan world What is more glorious than a church that's working hard at unity when we disagree? What's more glorious? What's more attractive and attracting than a church that keeps on moving toward each other rather than away from each other? And I wish I could tell you all the stories that we've been hearing about you folks moving toward each other for deep listening and conversation. What is more glorious than a church that keeps on bearing with one another in love and keeps on breaking bread together? And a church that keeps on extending grace to one another when we fail. And God knows that I have. In these times, God's glory is on full 
display. As it says in Philippians 2.15, we are shining like stars in these times in the night sky and giving witness to Jesus, our bright morning star. Let's go back to our story about those stars glowing up on Jasmine's ceiling. Dear friends, aren't we a whole, whole lot like them? Shining with a glory not our own. Glowing only to the degree that we are connected with the light. In our reading from Acts 16 today, we discover that the early church is a community of prayer. And dear friends, please forgive me for sounding like a broken record on this subject. I know you're all going to go home and say, Todd preached about prayer again. But what I'm trying to get us to see that there is that there is absolutely no way of following Jesus, of being a Sermon on the Mount, red-letter Christian, without each of us having a daily way of connecting with God. It's not possible. Don't try it. Well, we try it all the time, don't we? How's that connection happening in your life? We see the crucial role of prayer two weeks ago. With, we saw it with Peter and Cornelius, remember? They come together connected with God. We see it today with Paul and Silas. Just before our reading, why does Paul run into Lydia by the river in Philippi, verse 13? He's looking for a place of prayer. What are Paul and Silas doing when the slave girl runs into them and accosts them? They're going to pray, verse 16. What are they doing after they're thrown in jail today? Verse 25, they're praying. You see, we either shine with a glory not our own or we don't shine at all. And doesn't this radically, radically reframe what all of our praying and our Bible reading and coming here to church at East Chestnut are all about. We don't do these things to earn our salvation, which we can. We don't do these things to try to prove to other people that we're good. We do these things because we need daily infusions of God's presence in our lives. Without God's glory... Our love for one another fades and our witness to the world grows dim. But with God's glory and presence shining through us, we're able to shine like stars in the night sky. And today our dear Jesus invites All who are thirsty, 
all of us who know our need for His grace and His help to come to His table. And Jesus promises to be especially present with us, nourishing and uniting us as we share this meal together. May it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.